0: 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 to 25 this morning on page 1201 You know speaking of our kids it's it's funny how there's certain words that our kids seem to learn effortlessly when they're learning to speak for instance that great word that all kids learn so easily no you know no no I don't want to and yet other words seem so difficult, like please and thank you. There's another phrase, though, that kids, uh, I've found, learn quickly and easily. It's a concept they seem to grasp intuitively, and it's the concept of it's not fair, or that's no fair, it's not fair, and they, they have this innate sense of justice that, uh, that they pick up on things. You know, You put a bunch of kids around a table, you put a bowl of ice cream in front of each child, and, and these kids, some of whom can't figure out what shoe goes on what foot, can in- instantly discern the mass of each ice cream scoop, and they can detect which is the more and which is the less. And, and the child, of course, who has less, yells, that's not fair! And the kids who have more just keep their mouths shut and start, you know, shoveling as quickly as they can. Uh, some of you are parents grandparents, aunts and uncles, and you bought Christmas presents for kids this Christmas, and you were very careful to make sure that it was fair. You you try to figure out some metric for determining that, whether it was the price or, or the size or the number of gifts. I suppose we don't really outgrow this as adults the sense of justice, this desire that things be equitable and right, and that people be treated as they deserve. I think especially as Americans, one of the uh, uh, characteristics of, of, of American culture, one of the values that Americans hold to is, is that, uh, you know, we, we want things to be right and fair. We have a strong sense that everyone has equal rights, and that everyone should, should deserve a certain equal type of treatment and fairness. And uh, so, so, when it doesn't happen, it frustrates us. You know, when you have a teacher or a professor who who treats you unfairly or, or who's harsh in your grading, but you know that there's a teacher's pet over there who gets treated differently, that is, it's really vexing. Um, Or or if you have a boss who's really hard on you and no matter what you do, you can never do it right and they're always critical of you and and always just making your life miserable at work for everyone in the office except, of course, for the guy two rooms down who happens to be the son of the guy that your boss went to college with. And he gets special treatment, you know. And you just think, why am I being... I'm doing a good job. Why am I being treated like this? It's not fair. Or when we see politicians who who use their position to gain benefits for themselves or to enact laws that benefit them and and are hard on everyone else. Our sense of justice is offended. Well, this morning we return to 1 Peter. And just to remind us of what the letter of 1 Peter is all about, Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And it was written to Christians who found themselves religious and... um, uh, cultural minorities in the Roman Empire. Uh, they followed Jesus, and that was a new thing in the Roman Empire. And so they were, they were having a hard time of it. And so Peter is, is really written to Christians saying, this is how you live in a world and a culture that doesn't follow Christ. Right? This is how you live when you're a foreigner and an alien and an expat, and a stranger in this world. When we become followers of Jesus, we become citizens of heaven, and this world is no longer our home, and we experience a a, a sort of an existential estrangement from this world as soon as we come to know Christ. And so, how do we work through that? And Peter is is written to help us think through that, which, of course, is incredibly helpful to us as American Christians, because we've seen our own country of the last uh, several decades, and especially the last decade in, in a more... Uh, precipitous manner has just been hurtling away from its its Christian heritage. We found ourselves rapidly more and more in a post-Christian culture. And I think a lot of us who who grew up in this country especially feel disoriented. We're like, what happened? (laughs) What happened to the country? Where's our culture going? Where's it going to end? And so Peter is so helpful for us Because when you find yourself as a religious or an ideological minority in any setting, it's very typical to experience injustice. Because in any culture, in any society, the rules are always written for the insiders, not for the outsiders. It, it's always benefiting those who, who are, have the positions of power and influence and belonging. And the more we find ourselves, and the more we find biblical morality and right and wrong on the outside of our culture, the more we should expect injustice, unfair treatment, harsh treatment. And so we need to learn how to deal with this as Christians in a post-Christian country. So that's what Peter's going to talk about today, this issue of injustice and harshness and unfairness. And he does it by helping us think about the worst-case scenario. What's the worst possible experience of this that a person could have? And the answer he gives us is, well, it's if you're a slave. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Peter writes to slaves who are Christians. He says in verse 18, slaves... Submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Slaves would be the worst case scenario uh, to, to experience injustice. There were people who were slaves in the Roman Empire and they came to faith in Jesus and, and they could experience injustice. Some of them had nice masters, some of them had bad masters. And the bad masters were, were cruel and harsh and might beat them even though they did a good job, they still might be treated extremely poorly. And so so Peter's writing to this, this terrible situation of being a slave. And, and if, if we can think about how a slave would endure unjust treatment, then that should probably help us who have a better situation than being slaves. That's kind of the idea here. Um, because, you know, even if, even if you don't like your job, even if your boss is a jerk, even if you're being treated really poorly at work, you can still quit. I mean, maybe it'd be hard because you're like, I don't know what I do, but look, you can quit, right? Or, or if, you, uh, if you have a professor who's particularly got an ax to grind against Christians, you can always drop the course, and it may mess up your schedule and stuff, but you can drop the course, right? Or, or if you found yourself in a marriage, I mean, God forbid, and, and, the, and your husband you know, was hostile to your faith and hostile to you and was, was aggressive or, or, or violent even, you can always leave, leave the house to protect yourself, and you should in those situations. But what's a slave supposed to do? A slave is just totally stuck. I mean, what, is a slave going to run away? Well, then they get caught and they get executed, And so slaves were really stuck. And imagine if you're a slave and you have a master who is harsh and unjust and maybe even treats you poorly because you've come to faith in Christ and your master is a worshiper of Zeus and he's really upset about that. What do you do? Well, here's what he says, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect submit yourselves, you know, do what they say, take orders, and do it, I love that, with all respect, I mean, that really colors it too, right, to do it with all respect, you you know, you you can obey someone sometimes, but you can do it without respect, and you can kind of do it grudgingly, you know, so it's like, look, slaves, obey your masters, but like, don't spit in their soup when you're bringing it to them, don't steal stuff from them, little petty thefts, you know, don't get back at them a little ways, just submit and do it with respect, You, you know, you kids know how this is, right, when your parents tell you to clean your room, there's two ways you can clean your room. One way is to say, you know, way number, way number one is to be like, okay, mom and dad, I'll clean my room, and you go off and clean your room, right? So that's what usually happens, right? Uh, way number two is you go, they go clean your room, and you're like, ah, you know, uh, 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 and then you go there and and you start you know you're just like going so slow cleaning your room and then you hear them leave then you pull out your phone and you play games and you hear them coming back you stick your phone away and then you're like uh. you know you, you can there's submitting and then there's submitting there's obeying and then there's obeying and there's respect and so he's saying look be really good slaves. Really obey your masters. Really show them respect. Even if they disrespect you, respect them. Even if they're, they're unfair to you and hard to you, be good to them. Don't treat them the same way they're treating you. As Kevin Jameson pointed out so well last Sunday, so much of this section is soaked and is echoing the Sermon on the Mount. And where Jesus told us that if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone forces you to go one mile Go with him too. And so as Christians, we, we don't respond to evil with evil, but we try to overcome evil with good. This is how we, we deal with this. And so slaves act this way. I don't know, how does that, how does that sit with you? I don't really like it. I, this is not, well, I should say that's not my instinct. My instinct when somebody disrespects me, my instinct is not to respond to them with respect and kindness and grace. My instinct when someone is hard on me or harsh to me is not to respond with gentleness. My instinct is not when somebody does something wrong to me to think about some way I could be really good to them. I, I just I, I don't go there. That, that's not my, my natural reflex, is not to overcome evil with good. And yet that's what he's saying to these slaves who are being treated unjustly, is to respond differently. So how do you... How do, you re- how do we reprogram ourselves to respond like this, especially when we find ourselves in these difficult situations? And so Peter not only gives the command to submit with all respect, but I'm going to argue he gives us at least three motivations for doing it. There's three reasons in this passage why we should respond this way. There are three things we can draw upon as Christians that will help us when we find ourselves being unjustly or harshly treated or disrespected, especially from those in authority over us, to to still just be respectful and kind and to submit and to respond the right way, to take the high road no matter how low the, the other person's road is to do the right thing in response. And there's three reasons. Here's the first one. Number one, do it so that you might lend credibility to the gospel. Number one, do it in order to lend credibility to the gospel message. Do it so that the gospel seems authentic. That's really uh, what we saw last week in last week's passage. I mean, if I could just take you back to the passage from last week. Look at verse 13. There he was talking about submitting not to slave masters, but to kings and authorities. He says in verse 13, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Here we go, verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. We don't want people talking bad about the gospel and about Christianity. So let's conduct ourselves in a way in society that, that is, gives credibility to the gospel. You know, think about it. You know, here's the Roman Empire. Here's all these societies that have worshipped their pagan gods for generations. And suddenly, in the last 20 years, this new religion has come along, Christianity, and these people don't worship our gods. And, and it's, it's natural, it's normal to be like, who are these people? Who do they think they are? what's going on here, you know, to react in that kind of a way? You know, what kind of people are these Christians now, now that they've found Jesus? And so it's like, well, show them that you're still good citizens. You know, submit to the authorities. Don't be like, well, we're not, you know, we're Christians now, so we don't have to pay our taxes, and we don't have to do this and that. No, no, be a good citizen. And I think it's the same idea here. For the sake of the gospel, in order to give the the gospel credibility, continue to be a good slave in this in case. Not that slavery is good. This, this is not con- condoning slavery in any sense, but it's sort of like, hey, slaves, you're stuck in the situation. So give credibility to the gospel by the way you respond to your masters, whether they're good or bad. Because here's the thing, people. People are watching you. People are watching you. And when they know you're a Christian... They're watching. They want to know how you deal with the same jerky boss they have to deal with. They want to know how you deal with the terrible diagnosis. They want to watch how you deal with this difficult relationship that they're also in, and they're watching you so so yeah, you may have this terrible boss who's really harsh and awful to you, and and, and maybe responding with kindness and respect isn't going to change, you know, this ogre of a boss into a Prince Charming. But the other employees are watching you. You know, the other supervisors, they know he's a jerk, they can't do anything about it, but they're watching you. People watch. So that when they ask you, how do you how do you be nice to that guy when he's like that? How do, you, how do you respond so well to her when she's like that? You say, well, it's, it's actually, it's not me. <laughs> it, it's Christ. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. And now your words have credibility. Because you've, let, you've given credibility to the gospel, and I've given credibility to the gospel by the way we respond in those situations. So do it for the sake of the gospel. In fact, I think this is a great evangelistic strategy. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions are for 2016. Probably one New Year's resolution we should adopt this year, probably one we should adopt every year, is to really resolve to be better witnesses for Jesus in the world around us. And so you go, how do you do that in a post-Christian culture? Can I give you an evangelistic strategy? Here it is. When you meet new people or you join a new company or you get on a new sports team and you meet new folks, Try to let them know as quickly as possible that you're a Christian. Find some natural way. You know, don't just be like, hi, I'm Jeremy, I'm a Christian. You know, but like, you know, some natural way. You know, like, what'd you do this weekend? Oh, I was at church, you know, with my other Christians, you know, whatever. Find some way to to bring it up so they know early on in the relationship that you're a follower of Jesus. And then live it in front of them from that point on so they can start watching you. So they go, huh? I wonder what that means. I wonder how that affects a person. And, and they'll take note of your behavior, and they'll start perhaps connecting the dots, so that we give credibility to the gospel. So that's one reason to respond to disrespect with respect, to respond to harshness with gentleness, to respond to unkind words with kind words. When someone does you evil, to give show them good in response is for the credibility of the gospel. Here's the second reason. Number two, and it's in verses 19 and 20, it's because it's also commendable to God. It's also something that God approves of. We're not only doing this to show other people the the reality of the gospel, we're doing this because this pleases our Lord. We're serving Him. Look at verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. So so the second reason we do this is because God is watching. Not just because people are watching, but we know that God watches. And God is evaluating our responses. God sees what we do and what we don't do and how we react. And, And we're living before God. I love that phrase in verse 19 where it says, It's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. I love that. Because he is conscious of God. That's how we live as Christians, or we're supposed to live, with a consciousness of God. We we live every day with an awareness that God is in our lives and that He sees us and we live for Him. There's a a Latin phrase. It's um, a quorum Deo quorum Deo is a Latin phrase and a concept, and and the translation of that phrase quorum Deo is something like, in the presence of God. And R.C. Sproul, uh, the great uh, theologian and pastor, uh, he he talks about the concept of quorum Deo this way. He says, quorum Deo, to live in the presence of God, means as a Christian, I'm always living with an awareness that I'm in God's presence, that I'm under God's authority, and that I live for God's glory. As a Christian, I'm in His presence, I'm under His authority, and my whole life is for His glory. So, so as Christians, we have a completely different success metric than the world. We don't consider ourselves successful based upon the size of our paycheck. We, we don't measure our success ultimately as Christians by whatever job title we have or what, you know, where our kids end up going to school or what college they get into. I mean, that, that's not how we assess our our value and success as Christians. As Christians, our ultimate question is, have we glorified God? Have I honored God in what I've done? Have I lived quorum Deo in His presence? Have I submitted to God's authority? And has God been shown the glory in this situation, regardless of whether I'm in a, a high position in society or a low position in society? We would just have a different way of looking at this. We're his servants. In fact, look back at verse 16. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. You could also translate that, live as slaves of God. Ultimately, I'm God's servant and slave. And So what I'm looking for is is his commendation and, and his affirmation in my life. In fact, it's, it's interesting, there's something else to be pointed out here. See in verse 19 where it says, it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Then you get the same phrase at the end of verse 20, this is commendable before God. That phrase commendable in Greek could also just be translated, it is grace. It's the word for grace. So, so I think the idea here, it's kind of weird to translate this, but I think the idea is it's not just that if I respond to evil with good, that God approves of that, but that it's also God's grace is operating in that. So that God is helping me. God is sustaining me. Do, do you want to feel and experience God's power and grace in your life? Then, then submit to, to Him and to authorities and to respond to evil with good. And when we do that, His grace will sustain us as we live for His glory. Maybe you're starting 2016 in a really, really lousy situation. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, things are looking up this year. Maybe you're like, not great. I, I'm in a really, there's a relationship I'm involved in at work or in my house or at school or whatever that's really difficult. I don't know how it's going to get resolved. Maybe you're just kind of in a mess in your life and you're like, I have no idea how this is going to get fixed. I I don't know what's going to solve this. I I don't know the way forward. It's just a mess. I don't know what to do. And no matter how bad the situation is, there is always one thing we can do. We can glorify God. And we can say, okay, you know what? This whole thing could just be a dumpster fire. And it could all end really badly. (laughs) But on the other side of this dumpster fire, because it will end someday... I want to be able to look back and be like, man, that was the worst two years of my life. But you know what? By God's grace, I was able to glorify God. And for a Christian, that's success. Not that I went through good times or bad times because we can't control our circumstances. But you know, that was a really hard time in my life. But by God's grace, I was able to glorify him in my reactions, my attitudes. Not that we're ever perfect in that, of course. but, But that by God's grace, I was seeking to bring him glory and all that I did. And so if you're in a really lousy situation today that you're not sure how it's going to be resolved, make that your resolution. Okay, I want God to be glorified in how I react, in the words I say. And even if it seems crazy because the other person is, is hard on me, I'm going to respond in a way that gives Jesus glory and trust that God will use that in some way. So why should we respond to disrespect with respect? Why should we respond to harshness with kindness? Why should we submit ourselves to rulers and authorities who are unjust? Number one, to give credibility to our gospel message. Number two, because it's commendable before God and His grace is with us as we try to live for Him and not for ourselves. And here's the third reason. Because it's what Jesus did. Look at verse 21. And here the passage really reaches just an amazing climax. He says, To this you were called. To what? To unjust suffering. Did you get that? To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If you're a Christian, it's like, what, what? wait, wait. I understand that it happens, but Peter's like kicking it up a notch here. He goes, if you're a Christian, you're called to this. This is part of your job description as a Christian is to, to expect unjust suffering for the name of Christ and to respond with grace and goodness to injustice. This is what you're called to. So when you watch yet another movie or TV show that makes Christians look like complete tools, or, or, or that makes Christian morality look completely crazy, and you sit there and you're like, ah, that's not what we believe. Ah, oh, that Hollywood's always messing, uh, right? To this, you were called. We were called to endure this. When you have uh, a family member who, They just have taken it upon themselves to to make your life miserable because of your faith. And you go, why is this happening? To this, you were called. When you have someone at work who is harsh to you because they know about your faith, or you're singled out, or in some way you're suffering for the name of Christ, you're like, why is this happening to me? It's because to this, you were called. We were called to experience unjust suffering as Christians or to expect it and when we do experience it to respond with humility and kindness and respect and gentleness and goodness because verse 21 Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps Christ is our example this is what happened to Jesus and so we're like all right I want to follow you Jesus he's like you sure is you know what like where I go right right Like, I'm going to a cross. You want to follow me? That's great, but, you know, count the cost. This is what it takes. Or to put it in Jesus' own words, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Even that phrase there in verse 21, leaving you an example, it's a little bit, the translation there's just a little bit soft, you know, because the word example in English is kind of like eh, it's not that strong like oh yeah that's, he's a good example you know it's not like that the, the idea of example is it's, it's, it's more like he's our pattern he's he's the way we operate that that word for example there is sometimes used um, it's a Greek word that's used to describe the like when you're teaching little kids their ABCs in ancient Greece you know, were teaching them their alpha beta gammas and uh, and you're trying to teach them how to draw their alpha beta gammas you actually put a little pattern down and the kids take their little stylus or whatever and they they trace the alpha and they trace the beta. That's what Jesus is. He's our, our pattern that we're tracing our life over. We're like, this is how I live, just like Jesus did. And so he's the pattern of our life. So let's look at his pattern. Verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit, was found in his mouth. Jesus died, he suffered, but he didn't do anything wrong. There's no deceit in his mouth. In other words, Jesus' crucifixion as a criminal was the most unjust suffering ever. He's the one person who never deserved anything. You know, sometimes bad things happen and you wonder like, well, maybe I'm getting this back for that one thing I did 10 years ago. (laughs) Maybe it's catching up to me. Maybe karma is happening, you know, or something. You know, we get these thoughts in our head, right? But like with Jesus, he could never look back and be like, well, maybe this crucifixion is because of that one thing 15 years ago. Like there was no one thing 15 years ago. There's no thing for Jesus. He's pure. He's the Holy Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the pure and spotless Lamb. And so so he gets crucified, and, and they... And they put him on trial, and they beat him, and they insult him. And how does he respond to this unjust treatment? Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't didn't threaten the Romans who were whipping him. In fact, he said, you know, listen, if I want to, I could call down 10,000 legions of angels, he told his disciples. Like, this crucifixion isn't happening because I'm powerless. It's because I'm letting it happen and yet he didn't He didn't threat, he didn't retaliate. Instead, verse 23, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He trusted that God would bring about justice, that God would make things right, that he didn't have to make things right. And, and I really think that little idea, to entrust yourself to God who judges justly, is really part of the secret to enduring unjust suffering. Is, is, it's not to, when you endure unjust suffering... punishment and harsh treatment, it's not because you're a doormat or that you don't care about justice. But what you're saying is, I'm going to let God be the policeman, judge, and jury, not me. I'm going to let God take care of that. I'm going to entrust God to do it. And so Christ entrusted himself to God's hands, and God vindicated him. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And then God vindicated him more. He ascended to the Father's right hand And someday that vindication will become even more public when Christ returns and every eye sees him. So God will set all things right in the end. There's a great day of justice and judgment coming for this world. Every terrible, unjust, evil, and harsh thing from the smallest to the most horrible atrocities will be accounted for and will be judged and set right when Jesus Christ returns. Everything will be set right on the last day, the day of judgment. And so, as Christians, we can endure unjust suffering because we know that we're not just letting justice go away, but that God will take care of all the justice way better than we can. And God will sort it out. But that's not only good news, it's not only a pattern for us. But look at verses in the last two verses here as Peter turns the corner. You see, Jesus' suffering and death for us is not just a pattern and example of how we should react in those situations, but it's even more than that. It's the reason we're able to react. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He wasn't just giving us kind of a model to follow, although He was. He was also bearing our sins. Look at verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in his body on the tree what a wonderful summary of the gospel like what's the gospel boom there it is real short real concise why did jesus die he himself bore our sins not his sins our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for by his wounds you've been healed jesus isn't just our example he's our forgiveness by jesus i can die to my old sins and i can live a new life the the wounds of my sins and the wounds of my brokenness can be healed in christ Four verse 25, you all were like sheep going astray, but you've now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The cross just isn't an example of how to react, but it's it's our salvation. It's because of the cross that we can live quorum Deo and live in God's presence. Because here's the thing, people. Yes, everyone in this room has experienced undeserved harshness. There can't be anyone in this room who's never experienced undeserved bad treatment. But here's what you have to accept too. That you also, every one of you, are an unjust person who has treated people harshly and badly. And so am I. Every single one of us. We are not only all victims of it, but in small ways and big ways, we are and have been victimizers. We all have said things that were undeserved by the person we said them to. We've all misused authority and power. You know, we say we love justice. Probably not true. You know what we like? We like justice when we get it. But we're, are we really as concerned for others? We all, to some degree or another, have been harsh, unfair, unkind. We have hurt other people. We're part of the problem. All of us can probably look back in our lives and there are these, I don't know if you have these, you, you, I try to suppress them, but sometimes they'll come back at three in the morning. Memories, Of moments when I was unkind or harsh or unfair, and these memories come haunting back into my mind, and I just am filled with regret. And I think, oh, I wish I could go back in time and take those words back. Oh, I wish I could go back in time and not do that or respond differently. And you can't. What's been done has been done, and what's been said has been said. We can't go back in time. But you know what we can do? We can go back further in time to the foot of the cross. And we can say, oh, but there is the Savior who has borne my harshness in His body on the tree. There is the Savior who's taken those hard words I said or that that attitude I had or the, the, you know, the the blow that i delivered and he took it in his body on the tree oh god thank you for a savior who has died to bear my unjust acts and my godless acts and that all of those things that i regret and that i wish i could take back i can't take them back but they have been taken by the savior So now we're free to live this new life. Praise God for this Savior. Because someday that day of judgment is coming. And if we think we can get out of that day of judgment just by pointing to the ways we've been victimized, uh -uh. (laughs) we have our own lives to account for. And And the good news is there's a Savior. Have you given your sin to Christ? Have you given your own injustice to Christ? Is He your Savior? Is He your Shepherd? Have you put your faith in Him? Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we worship You this morning because You are the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we have returned to you, but we've not returned because we figured it out or we're so smart. We've returned because you came after us. And though we turned our backs on you and disbelieved in you, you came and you died and you responded to our sin with your righteousness. You responded to our insults with your kindness. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for salvation. We thank you that there is forgiveness for unjust, harsh, abusive unfair people like us. Oh, Lord, forgive us our sins. And God, I pray that if there is anyone here today who's never thrown themselves at the foot of the cross, thrown themselves at the mercy of Christ, oh, Lord, I pray today that you would show them that they need a Savior, and that they would. God, I want to pray for every uh, person here today who's in a really lousy situation where they're suffering and miserable. God, I pray that you would give them grace to entrust themselves to you who judges justly, and that they would be able to take the high road even when everyone else and everyone else in the whole scenario is on the lowest of the low roads. Lord, I pray, help us to show respect to the disrespectful, kindness to the harsh people, and goodness to those who do evil. Oh God, help us to embody the gospel as well as preach the gospel. And oh Lord, I pray that you would come quickly, Jesus, return soon. We long for the day when the universe will be set right and all things will be for your glory. Until that day, Lord, give us grace to persevere and to endure. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.